Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. Last year, Americans spent $3 trillion on health care. It should actually be called sick care because 86% of this was treating chronic diseases that can often be prevented and even reversed by making lifestyle changes. Hippocrates, the father of medicine, said, let thy food be thy medicine. Yet only 14% of doctors are offered sufficient diet and nutrition education while in medical school. We have with us Dr. Sarai Stansik, a medical physician that's focused on improving these statistics. She's the executive producer of the documentary film Code Blue, Redefining the Practice of Medicine. Don't go anywhere. It all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is board certified in internal medicine, infectious diseases, and lifestyle medicine. She served as translational medical leader at Roche Pharmaceuticals, where she led clinical trials in the field of viral hepatitis. After being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, her search for answers led her on a pathway to lifestyle medicine. She went on to found one of the first lifestyle medicine practices in the country and mentors the Lifestyle Medicine Interest Group at Rutgers, New Jersey Medical School. She's the executive producer of the documentary film Code Blue, Redefining the Practice of Medicine. This film offers solutions to the global chronic illness and obesity epidemic. Code Blue is helping to educate doctors and empower the general public on how to improve health by focusing on lifestyle. Welcome to the show, Dr. Sarai Stansik. Thank you, Dr. Friedman. It's a great pleasure to be with you. Oh, it's great to have you on the show. As I said, I'm a big fan of your mission. You know, I grew up in a medical family, and I, too, shifted gears to focusing on a more holistic approach to healing. Share with us what created this paradigm shift for you. Yeah, well, for me, it it started back in October of 1995 when, uh, remarkably, in the middle of a, of a really busy call, at the time I was a third-year medical resident, I took a nap sometime in the mid-morning hour, and when I was awakened uh, to address a, a patient issue, I found that I couldn't feel my leg. Um, that evening, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and it really changed the course of my life. Um, you know, what followed was that typical chronic illness patient story. Uh, I was at, at some point, uh, probably about eight years into my diagnosis, dependent on a dozen medicines, and my disease was, was worsening and uh, progressing. And it wasn't until, uh, by chance, I came across, and here I am, this you know, attending physician, board certified in internal medicine and infectious diseases, and really didn't understand anything about diet or lifestyle or what role it played in disease. It really wasn't on my radar at all. And it was by chance that I came across an article that discussed uh, a connection between diet and multiple sclerosis. And that's really what catalyzed this uh, insatiable interest in me to want to further understand these connections that, regrettably, I hadn't learned uh, in medical school in our traditional medical education setting. So yeah. I, I started to read everything I could and, and really try to understand um, these connections that had been introduced in this initial article. And the more I learned, I became uh, it became quite clear to me that uh, these uh, aspects of lifestyle, diet, nutri- you know, nutrition, exercise, stress, sleep, that all of these aspects were critically important in not only increasing risk of MS, but also in outcomes in MS. And I was sort of struck by the fact that my doctors who were 
you know, experts in the field of multiple sclerosis were unable uh, to relay this all-important intervention. And so at some point I was convinced that this was something that I needed to optimize, even though I wasn't going to get the support uh, that I seek to, uh, to get from, from my physician. In 2003, I decided that I was going to uh, optimize all of those aspects. You know, I was going to adopt a primarily plant-based diet. I began to exercise. Back in the 1990s, David, it, when you were diagnosed with MS, it was you were told not to exercise. It was falsely believed to exacerbate the disease. So I was wow. really uh, deconditioned and uh, so I, when I first started, I could just barely, my husband would support me to get onto a stationary bike and I could do a minute or two and then exhausted and in pain, he'd help me come off and it would take 10 to 15 minutes to recover from that. But I would do this every day religiously. And over time, I built strength and endurance. And, and even beyond that, stress was, stress I always say is like kryptonite for MS. So I needed to address that in my own life. So even in my work setting, I was chief of infectious diseases at my division. So um, I made sure that I didn't take on that extra research project or that I that my schedule allowed for me to leave at a reasonable time every, every evening. So I wasn't working very late hours. Uh, and I learned how to sleep effectively. That's such an important part of good health. You know, I, had, I was essentially addicted to a, a hypnotic Ambien that I was prescribed um, by my physicians, and having to come off of all of those medicines was, was, you know, tricky, but I was able to do that successfully over a period of time. And remarkably, what happened, and it didn't happen in a week or in a month, uh, I started to feel better. And at, at first, it was something as simple as, you know what, today I feel confident enough to leave the cane in the car. Um, but over time, and I would say about two years into my lifestyle change, I really started to... to um, notice uh, a significant difference. And at one point, um, I had gone from a woman that was dependent on a cane or set of crutches to, in 2010, crossing the finish line at a marathon. So that's my story. And it certainly is why I am as deeply passionate as I am about the work that I do now. And, you know, and it's regrettable to me that we get through, we go through medical school, and this is not spoken of. It's not even yeah. um, discussed or, or, or discussed <clears throat> in, in a very limited fashion. And yet it is such an important part of, of our overall well-being. And, and that's really been uh, my focus in, in the latter half of my career is not only empowering and educating patients and helping them to uh, not only prevent disease, but better manage any, and reverse diseases. I mean, we see diabetics who have been dependent on two or three medications for 15 years and we support them in modifying their behavior so they can come off of those medicines and prevent the sequelae of, of diabetes that we see uh, routinely uh, in our country. I mean, we know the literature tells us that 93% of diabetes is preventable, yet it is a disease that is exploding uh, and growing near exponentially mm -hmm. in our country. It's an unacceptable. Uh, we know that this is largely driven by our our poor diet and our and our sedentary behavior and our, and our, just our lifestyles overall. So that's really the, the reasoning behind what I do is just my, 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 my personal story and had really has changed the course of my life. Here I am now 24 years since that diagnosis and I, I'm medication free and, and I run every day and I have extraordinary quality of life. And, right. and it's that simple. I mean, it's this very complicated problem that we appear to have in healthcare with, you know, obesity rates, 
climbing and diabetes rates climbing. And yet the solution is really quite simple. And, and, it, it, and it's so important for me on a personal level to, to disseminate this message as best I can. But I know that it's not just speaking to the community at large. It's also my peers, my, you know, my profession, uh, my colleagues. We all need to be speaking to this universally and ubiquitously. And, and our doctors don't speak to it, not because they're bad doctors. Or, or, or they're ill-intended, it's because they're not taught this. And so what we need to do is we need to change the way doctors are trained. And that's really what uh, the film Code Blue is about. It's about, you know, shedding light on the absurd fact that doctors go through medical school and learn nothing about this. Right. And um, we need to change that because I, I believe that uh, by, by changing the way uh, physicians are trained, that we can really make a significant uh, turn in this chronic disease epidemic. Yeah, I think one of the big problems that I've seen when it comes to allopathic medicine is diagnose and adios. Out the door you go. Right. And what I love about this, right. you know, lifestyle mentality is, like you said, you look at the exercise, sleeping habits, diet, stress, nutrition. You know, a doctor's visit, if he's, if, once he's there, not the waiting time, which could be an hour and a half, but once he's there, 10 minutes. The other 23 hours and 50 minutes is yours. And I think that's so important. And that's what I love what you're doing is saying, hey, when you walk out of that office, this is what you need to do to change your life. Not that pill you're going to pick up. You know, so that's, uh, right. I commend you on that. Tell us more about the, the film Code Blue. So share with us, as I know uh, there's quite a few doctors on there that I've actually had on the show, uh, Dr. Ornish, Bernard, Esselstein, Gregor, Campbell, and Katz. And what I love about having these docs on my show <laughs> is they're outside-the-box thinkers, but I love it that they're so passionate and con- they have a conviction of making a difference in the world. Is that kind of what fueled you to make the film? Absolutely, absolutely. They're passionate and they're evidence-based. They speak to a body of evidence in peer-reviewed medical literature that right. cl- clearly supports what we're saying. And that's really, the, I think, the way that we can uh, bring uh, others into the fold is speak to the science. And I, and I think that's one of my, uh, in making this film, is I wanted to be very clear that this is not my opinion or Dr. Katz's opinion or Dr. Ornish's opinion. This is what the overwhelming body of evidence right. speaks to. And you can't deny that uh, the evidence is there, and it's not. And I'm talking about, you know, uh, literature published in New England Journal of Medicine and the Annals of Eternal Medicine. This is not. Uh, uh, these are reliable and reasonable sources. So yeah, we wanted to speak to the science, and and again, the the impetus for me to to make the film, and it was a huge undertaking. It was four years uh, of of work in, invested in this film, and it's really about. Um, Speaking to the to the, to the evidence and, and yes, uh, sharing with the audience, the general community, what you need to do in order to optimize um, your lifestyle so that you age gracefully. I mean, this is really what I want for all of us. You know, I want right. us to you know go to bed when we're 95 years old after spending a beautiful day with our family, and then go to sleep and not wake up. Not right. what we typically see in our country, where you're in a nursing home, <clears throat> you know, for two or three years at the end of life suffering. And right. we can, we can do this by bringing attention to our lifestyle and, and empowering patients to, to take control of their personal health. And so the, the film d- does that. So it speaks to the general community, and it also speaks to uh, the medical community, the, the healthcare um, environment. And what, what I hope to do is communicate this message to those that create curricula 
in in uh, medical schools and not just medical schools, nursing schools, you know, registered dietitians. We, we, we need to, to uh, across the board, deliver this message because those of us who are leaders in health, I mean, we represent health in, in the in community as physicians. We should be best at this. Right. You know, the average physician learns nothing about, you, you offered that quote, 14% of physicians feel qualified to give nutrition education, and yet the average individual thinks if they have a nutrition question, who are they going to ask? They're going to ask their doctor because they, they believe that their doctor is going to be best suited to answer right. a nutrition question, and yet we are not. So exactly. the, the film not only speaks to all of that, but it, all, it, it tells my personal story it's sort of um, integrated within the course of the film, just, again, because I want the audience to understand why I'm as passionate as I am about the work that I do, because I truly believe that if we uh, change the way uh, physicians approach patients, that we could really make a big difference in, in terms of the life, and, and, and we can make a difference in turning the tide of the chronic disease epidemic. True. I know you put a, a lot of focus on diet and its ability to prevent and even reverse disease. And I'm curious, with the, these popular high animal protein diets like the keto and the paleo, what's your opinion on the future health of America? What's going to happen in the next 5, 10, 20 years? Because people are eating bacon for breakfast and hamburgers for lunch and yeah. steak for dinner. It's, it's so concerning to me because there are so many mixed messages and and the, and the community is just getting a, a lot of really bad information. We know there's a you know there's a very interesting uh, topic in medicine right now that I'm sh- I'm sure you're very familiar with the microbiome and the makeup yeah. of the microbiome, and we're and we're understanding more. And even in the field of MS, there's been a lot of literature, a lot of studies published in the past year or two looking at the makeup of the microbiome in MS patients. And there's an interesting study, a small pilot study that was published in uh, Italy last year, and they looked at uh, two groups of MS patients. Half of them were placed on a primarily plant-based diet and the other on a standard American diet. And they found that after a year, they looked at the difference in the microbiome, and there was a notable difference between the two. And interestingly, the group that was eating the primarily fiber-rich or plant-based diet had an organism that was enriched called lactosporaceae. And that organism produces an anti-inflammatory molecule called butyrate or short-chain fatty acid that then communicates with the immune system and actually tells the immune immune system that, by the way, is uh, damaging myelin in MS to cool off. So we're now knowing, we're now understanding that the, the types of bugs in our gut communicate with our immune system and then in turn either turn diseases on or turn them off. And we know that the the good bacteria feed on fiber, right? That's what right. enriches uh, and creates a, a, what we call a healthy uh, microbiome in the gut. And so this idea that we're feeding on animal products uh, is certainly playing a role in, in uh, creating a, a dysbiotic or unhealthy microbiome. It's, pro- it's promoting uh, saturated fat. I mean, there's, there's so many yeah. reasons why we shouldn't be engaging in a primarily uh, animal-based diet. But it's a fad, and it's 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 garnered regrettably the attention of of a community that is desperately seeking for the quick fix. And yeah, I think I, this is just another quick fix. Yeah, um, I know. I know. Is, we uh, had a uh, Dr. T. Colin Campbell on the show, and he said eighty percent of hospitals would be empty if people stopped eating the standard American diet and ate a healthy whole food plant based diet. That's a lot of people. Eighty percent of the hospital empty. Uh, uh, 
But, but absolutely, but that's what the literature tells us, right? Eighty percent of chronic diseases are are preventable by by modifying our behaviors. Yes, diet, but exercise is important. Not smoking, keeping a healthy weight. I mean, this is what the evidence, time and time again, um, uh, offers us, and somehow it's being ignored. And uh, we need to to speak to this loudly and awaken those uh, in 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 the academic institutions and assure that that change is coming. Now, in the film, I, I do uh, highlight a particular school, University of South Carolina in Greenville, which is one of which is an extraordinary example. They've done this. They've integrated lifestyle medicine into every aspect of the medical education cycle. From the minute these kids walk in to the minute they graduate, they're getting lifestyle medicine, and it's uh, it's built into their curricula, and, and they're producing extraordinary physicians. And, you know, the other thing that I think is really important is that as physicians, we're not very good at taking care of ourselves. We have the highest rates of suicide of any profession, depression, substance abuse issues, and that's because we're not taking care of ourselves. We're highly stressed. We don't take the time to exercise. We're not eating properly. And in this medical school, they're taught that. You're your first patient. Right. And so they... they that's an important message that is delivered to them very, very early on. And I think that's a great example. That's what I'd like to see in every medical school. But we have a lot of work to do because, unfortunately, uh, there, uh, I don't know of other, another medical school that is, um, that is uh, doing the same thing. Right. And, you know, so many people blame genetics on cancer and heart disease and type 2 diabetes, the big three killers. But, you know, we, we've learned the DNA doesn't really play a big role in that, correct? It's more about lifestyle. No, and they can no, change it. It's not no, a death no. sentence. D DNA plays a minor role. In fact, this is one of the, you know, in the beginning when I was sort of searching through the, through the literature and really trying to understand my own disease, I remember approaching my physician and talking to him about, you know, could diet and lifestyle play role that are managing my MS. And he said to me, listen, there's there's no evidence to suggest that. What you need to do is just remain compliant with the with the disease-modifying therapy, which, by the way, was, was laced with toxicity and side effects. And he said, you know, if you want to blame anything for having MS, you can blame your, your genes because that's why you have MS. So it's interesting that he said that to me. Uh, so when I turned to the literature to really understand what and really explore what he had said to me, there... It's not, uh, you know, if you look at monozygotic twins and one has MS and the other one, uh, what is the likelihood that the other one would have MS? It's only about 14 to 33 percent, right? So that tells right. us that uh, genes play a minor role. It, it, based on what he had told me, you'd think it'd be 100 percent, but it's not. Genes uh, play, you know, yes, of course they, they play a role, and this is why we ask about it when we, when we uh, assess a patient. We ask about family history because it's important to understand it. But don't kid yourself. Lifestyle matters most. It's the decisions that you make day in and day out that that play the most important role in regards to your personal health outcomes. And I think you're absolutely right. The majority of us believe, even physicians believe that 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 genes are so uh, all powerful, and and we're and we're uh, you yeah. know underestimating the value of <clears throat> lifestyle, especially the the uh, the obesity epidemic. You know, a lot of my patients will blame their genes on why they can't fit into their genes. And I say, look at the numbers. Yeah. In the early 1900s, 3% were overweight. Today, we're about 70%. How can you blame your great-great-grandma if she wasn't overweight? 
And they look at me and go, exactly. you're right, you can't because, you know, something's changed in our lives. And like you said, it's lifestyle. That's what it's about. So I commend you for getting on here and sharing this message. In the couple minutes we have, is there anything else you'd like to share to the listeners about Code Blue or lifestyle medicine? Well, I mean, I, I think that the it's important uh, for for those listeners to to ask about lifestyle medicine, to uh, speak those words to your physician. There are lifestyle medicine uh, physicians across the country. In fact, you can now, as of this is going to be the third year, you can now gain board certification. I was one. Of, I was in the first group that um, actually uh, uh, is board certified in lifestyle right. medicine. So please ask for physicians that are doing this. Um, and, and know that there's help out there, that just because your father had diabetes and his father had diabetes doesn't necessarily mean that you will develop diabetes. That is really that uh, you're in control, and I think that's empowering, and hopefully uh, more and more uh, patients will get excited about this and, and ask their doctors. If they're not familiar with it, they should get familiar with it. There's a wonderful organization called the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Uh, they have an annual meeting for those in your and out there who are physicians or are interested in learning more about it. It's a wonderful organization. We speak to the science, and you're going to learn a whole lot in that, those two or three days at this annual conference. I would highly recommend it. And as far as our film is concerned, uh-huh. we we premiered the film in January in, in New York City, and right now we're sort of um, doing screenings across the country. Uh, and If you're interested in screening Code Blue, you can go to our website, which is codebluedoc.com. Dot com and uh, click on host a screening and bring together your community. People are doing it in their local libraries. They're doing it at their hospitals in medical schools and colleges. What we want to do is spread the word. We want to empower our community to do better for themselves. And we want to change the way doctors think, because if we do that, then it's because, you know, David, one of my challenges is as a practicing lifestyle medicine physician, if I'm seeing a patient with heart disease, and talking to them about the importance of lifestyle, and then they go see their cardiologist, and the cardiologist says, that's that's crazy, you don't need to do anything, just right. take your statin and your beta blocker and your aspirin, that's all you need, then it undoes everything that I just did. So I need all of us to speak to the power of lifestyle, and when we do that, I think we can change the world. Well said. Fantastic. Well, thank you for being with us today, sharing such an important topic. To learn more about Dr. Stancic or for information about the documentary Code Blue, you can go to drstancic.com and you can follow her on Instagram at Dr. Stancic. On Twitter, she's at StancicMD and on Facebook, Sarai Stancic. For my daily health posts and tweets, follow me at Dr. David Friedman. And on Instagram, I'm at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard Dr. Stancic share something today that that somebody you know needs to hear, send them a link to this podcast, available to yourgoodhealthradio.com and radiomd.com, and peruse our podcast library and share these segments of interest with friends and family and coworkers and on social media. This information is too important to keep to yourself. Sharing is caring. Let's get this word out. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.